buddies who like making movies together. <laughs> Welcome back to Box Office Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, uh, from Ace in the Hole to Zodiac and almost famous to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I am Jacob Boone, freelance editor, writer in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, joined, as always, by my co-host, recovering journalist and many podcast host Tara Thorne in Halifax. How are you doing, Tara? I don't know, bud. It's really it's minute <laughs> to minute. How are you? Doing okay. Doing certainly better than um, communist sympathizers in the fifties <laughs> were doing in America. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get too far, mm-hmm. um, let me light your cigarette for you. <laughs> Can you, can you just tap my leg with your pen when we're ready to begin? Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. We are, of course, talking about the 2005 classic of the journalism genre. I, I think, think it was so. pretty well beloved when it came out. Yeah, good night many Oscars. And Good Luck, mm-hmm. a um, movie with at least one piece of punctuation in the title. Comma and period. Have, comma, so I wasn't sure if it had the comma. I put one yeah. in, but yeah, comma and period, full stop. And you know what else? Um, right before, so we planned this weeks ago, but right before I came over here, um, the office was on my TV, and the one where Michael thinks he's going to get the job uh, is was on, and he says good night and good luck. He says it wrong. <laughs> His inflection lo- is wrong, but it was super funny. Um. Yeah, it's a good episode. <laughs> yeah. 2005, directed by George Clooney, written by Clooney and Grant Heslov, his buddy, his bosom buddy. Yeah. No, that was Hanks. <laughs> Starring Clooney, as well as David Strathairn, Patricia Clarkson, Jeff Daniels, Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr., and Frank Langella. Patricia Clarkson, the only woman of note, even though Alex Borstein is in this. Mm-hmm. Um, a very funny person. You probably know her. You either you definitely know her as as um, Lois Griffin. You don't want to admit it, uh, but you probably know her this from the, the royal you, you're not... marvelous Mrs. Maisel. No, I yeah. know you know. Yeah. <laughs> she's also on Mad TV. She's very funny, and they give her. She's just the secretary. So it was nice to mm-hmm. see her, though. Uh, we were originally going to. We were looking at doing a movie about the Gulf War. Um, mm-hmm. And then we switched to this one, which actually worked out. Given our last week, we talked about uh, both another another black and white film with ties to the era, being written by Trumbo himself, Roman Holiday. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of on a McCarthyism theme here. Yeah, it's a McCarthyism duo. <laughs> anyway, um, but was that's so gross. Said, yes, go ahead. Um, I think there's interesting things in this film to look at in 2021. I forgot what year we were in. And it's talking about an era in the 1950s, but this is very much coming in 2005 as a rebuke of the Iraq War, the second one. Mm-hmm. And that whole conservative movement in response to criticisms of anyone who is critical of post 9 11 military industrial policy. Um, Clooney specifically said he was mad about being called a traitor for questioning the war. And right. so I think there's, there's a few lenses to look at this film now. It's not just a historical document about the fifties, mm-hmm. I think is what's important to keep in mind. Yeah. And something that we should also keep in mind is it is, uh, a 90 minute film, 
which they're very <laughs> rare. They're my favorite runtime. And this is something with a ton of history that they could have drawn out. I think but that was fr- one of the, the main criticisms was this could be longer. Right, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. They just sort of focused on this one little chunk of Edward R. Murrow kind of mm-hmm. like actively going on television against against this guy. And, and it's really a workplace. It's not a workplace comedy. It's a workplace drama where it's like Murrow... We don't know him. We don't know his life. We don't go home with him. We just uh, we just see him at work, and, and it it sort of it assumes you know who this is, mm-hmm. and what kind of influence he had on the media then. And it just it doesn't talk down to you. It's just sort of like you know who this is. You know what he's saying is going to be a huge deal. I think there's only two scenes outside of the office and the drinking hole bar they all go to. Mm-hmm. One with Robert Downey Jr. and Patricia Clarkson in their secret marriage apartment. Yeah. Because it's illegal to be married to each other and work together. And then a sad shot where Ray Wise kills himself at home. But Yeah, but here's the problem with both of those things. Mm-hmm. The framework, when this kind of framework, when it's like, this is somebody's memory, um, which is how they set up. Like, they set up, the framework is Murrow's getting an award in 1958. So he's like, think, like, harking back, telling the story of this time. So not, it's like. Not directly, but. Kind of, but it's yeah. it's sort of like Gina Davis in A League of Their Own. Like it's like this old lady stood there for two fucking hours remembering when he goes home with Patricia Clarkson and, and Robert Downey Jr. It's like, meh, you're doing it because you'd f- feel like you need to, but it's like that would be a weird part of the story if Murrow was telling it. Yeah, where he just imagines their home <laughs> yeah. as they're getting dressed in the morning. <laughs> Did you like the movie? I did like it. It's very yeah. manly, but that's what it was at the time. Like, this is a very manly, very white movie because that's what newsrooms looked like in the 50s. That's who ran the country. So I sort of, I'm not even mad at it in that capacity. I don't even know what Patricia Clark's job is, but they all respect her. They're all kind. She mm-hmm. seems to be, you know, like someone of power there. Um, and yeah, I think it moves at a really great clip. It's just sort of, you know, we see our, our Murrow in the form of David Strathairn. I'm giving these word for word recitations basically of what actually happened and then you see the actual mccarthy who's super gross yeah just disgusting and even now seeing it in a post-trump era i think adds another layer to how Mm -hmm. infuriating um you know the government can be (laughs) not to sound like my dad (laughs) it's 90 minutes and probably a good like 12 is stock footage of mccarthy Mm -hmm. and other people testifying so it's pretty short. I, I believe originally it was supposed to be a TV special or miniseries, like mm-hmm. a two-night thing. So maybe that's why. Maybe they only had 88 minutes of content and they just... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot when I first saw it many, many years ago, I think when I was first just getting into journalism. And, um, you know, because, the, you know, here's Edward R. Murrow, the god of journalism, and he's standing up for decency and truth and all of those great pillars of those heroes we tell each other in journalism school mostly um (laughs) and i still think it holds up uh, partially because maybe it's such a brisk pace and because it's so limited to a specific thing it's not it doesn't feel full of itself even though it's making some very powerful comments about truth and journalism and freedom Mm -hmm. um yeah and it's it's just fun also to see old-timey news get made like there's that element that's just like 
fun and interesting as they like count down to go live on TV and they have the scripts assembled and the news meetings and all that stuff. That's like that's just enjoyable to watch. And I'm sure I'm stealing something from the trivia portion, but but George Clooney's dad Nick was a journalist in this era, so it's yes. like he comes by, he comes by it by it honestly, and I do think that is why maybe it's not full of itself or it's not even critical of it because you know Clooney doesn't love the press himself, like as a as a tabloid fixture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yes, it's very just like here was the work, here's the job, here's what they did. This is very much Clooney's mank, <laughs> but done well. <laughs> Good night and good mank. <laughs> good mank and good mank. <laughs> Guys, we love mank on this podcast. Ugh. And we're never going to stop bringing it up. No, never. I didn't have a lot of like notes during it. Um, Just thoughts on, I guess, where we've ended up in journalism and, and television media since. It's weird it, to see them talking in 2005 while well, talking in 19, what, 50, 54? When 50, is it set? 57? 55? 6? We, wa- we both watched it, we swear. It's um, in the 50s. Set in the 50s. They're discussing these things in the 50s, being made in 2005 and here in 2021. And we're still talking about both sidesism. We're talking mm-hmm. about being driven by advertising. Editorializing. Editorializing, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's depressing a little bit. Haven't figured those things out. I mean, one of the major conflicts is um, usually it's like layoffs, as we've talked about before in a lot of journalism movies. Like the new owners are cutting jobs, and the, and that does happen <laughs> in yeah. this film. Yeah, it does. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. resigns, so Patricia Clarkson can remain. Um, but the I would. Aside from McCarthy, it's like the biggest threat is that the Aluminum Corporation of America will pull its commercials. Yeah, to the point where he, where, um, I almost called him Mank, where Murrow goes, how much is the ad? I'll split it with whoever. I'll split yeah. it with Jeff Daniels? No, with George, with Clooney. George. Yeah. Fred Fairley. Fred. Fred, Fred Fairley or whatever. Friendly. Um, friendly. Fred Friendly. What's his name? I believe Fred it's Fred Friendly. Friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's three thousand dollars, and he like t- in the fifties he takes a pause, and you go, oh, that's a lot. I believe based on our Roman holiday math last week, that would be like ten grand, twelve grand. Mm. That's it's enough to be yeah. a hit to your a dent, even even to a great newsman. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah. Advertisers. <laughs> and they show the little Alumco ad later oh, yeah, on yeah. almost as like to take the piss i also loved the i forget the name of the show but the like basically celebrity interview show murrow has to do oh Liberace. to like appease the network <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where he's in a, the like armchair chatting with some idiot that's great and visibly hating every moment of this absolutely interview. you know what's interesting though uh uh, as a moment so he's interviewing Liberace yeah. I don't know if Liberace was out at this point I doubt it but he says he basically says like I, I, you're a bachelor like mm-hmm. when are you gonna get married and settle down and Liberace says um I'm a, I'm like he says a person he might say a gentleman later but anyway they cut to the, the guys holding the cue cards and on the cue cards are questions about specific women 
And then he just doesn't do it. He's just like, okay, bye. Yeah, I think. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I didn't catch Unless that, it was actually. just a cut. Like, he, the, that scene could exist for all I know. But yeah. it seemed very pointed to be like, no, I'm not going to ask him this dumb shit where you know this guy is not straight. It, not that George Clooney is like uh, uh, the most amazing director, but even if that was a cut, that would have been, I imagine, some intentional joke cut. That like mm-hmm. we see those questions, he doesn't ask them. Murrow, the why. news hound, knows something is up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's sniffed out that something might be not so hetero about this Liberace guy. Don't they threaten him with in- interviewing Rin Tin Tin or something? Yeah, should be great. You would love to interview famous dogs. I would rather interview any dog <laughs> than, than Joe McCarthy. The most interesting people. Put that on your epitaph. <laughs> That's how I'm gonna lead. If you die before me, I hope I don't think you will because you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I'm gonna start. He would have rather interviewed any dog than any person. My hope, I hope you live much longer. But if you do pass away in your ninth decade, mm-hmm. I hope at your wake to mention how much you loved, always loved a tight ninety. <laughs> Though you saying that your whole life means you are going to live to like 127. There, yes. Yeah. So. I, Can I, we talk we about could... the smoking? Can we talk about it? <laughs> sure. Listen, I it. never watch, I never watch Mad Men. Famous smoking television Famous smoking show. show. Um, so I never got in on the commentary. But here's the thing. These people mm-hmm. are smoking fucking constantly. Pipes, Even if cigarettes. you're like, I love a cigarette. If you're yeah. like, I love smoking. It's just too much. It's too much. They must have all had emphysema. Yeah. Murrow died, I think, of lung cancer at like seven. <laughs> like, of course he did. Everyone's smoking all the time. I guess they didn't eat. They just smoked. They just suck them back, man. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine how disgusting that room smelled. I mean, I guess everyone smoked, so it was the normal smell. But if you were like, if you like transported right now back to the CBS oh, I bu- newsroom. I believe the actors had to take breaks from the set because of the smoke. Oh, man. Even like the herbal cigarettes that most people use. I think some mm-hmm. of them used real tobacco. I don't know why. Maybe it looks better on film. Or they were, I mean, act, uh, you know, like Affleck would have loved that if he was involved. I, I do can't believe think... Kyle Chandler wasn't in this, by the way. Is that not a face that's missing from this era? Yeah. Brian Cranston. Yeah. Um, who, else, who else should be in this? <laughs> Alan Arkin. Yes. Um, Alan Alda. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Kind. <laughs> they were roommates. The problem with a movie like this mm-hmm. where it's short and good, you're sort of like, like there's not a, a super ton to talk about. Yeah, I mean, and I wrote notes about you know, television. There, there. Okay, so so there's a um, Columbia Journalism review review of the movie that. And I'm sorry, I didn't write the name down. Oh, Michael Maya, not the killer or the comedian. <laughs> um, how television news allowed for McCarthyism because, and uh, I'll quote him here: "It was a genre that came of age during." 
and in many ways enabled McCarthyism. Before television, a senator could not make direct pleas to the entire nation without being filtered through some newspaper's prose. McCarthy was the first master practitioner of that Machiavellian science, gaming the broadcast cameras. Now imagine if somebody didn't even need TV. Like there was some sort of media that they could just connect socially to the public with. Imagine, socially. That would be dangerous. Oh my God. Ugh, what then, Tara? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I wrote all these notes and I don't even want to bring them up because it's just sad that <laughs> that's still very recent and still ongoing how broken our internet is and how people are... We don't need to get into cancel culture, but yeah. Um, of the Clooney directography, mm-hmm. where do you think this one ranks? I think it's his what best What else does one. he have? So there's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah. Which I don't think I've seen. Is Sam Rockwell in that one? Yep. Yes. There is Leatherheads, which is like football. Uh Yeah, yeah. John Krasinski. Renee Zellweger. Zellweger. The Ides of March with Ryan Gosling, which I thought was quite good, where he's like a political. I watched it on a plane. Um, He's like a political. He works for a presidential person. And, oh, there's, okay, there's a few more. The Monuments Men, horrible. It's yeah, old fuckers it. in the war trying to save art. Like, all these people are in their fucking 60s, and they're in a war. Suburbicon, which Some is Matt Damon. That, terribly reviewed, yeah. Yeah. Should have been funny, but wasn't. And The Midnight Sky, which I've never heard of, that came out last year. This post-apocalyptic Jeez. tale okay. follows a scientist in the Arctic. Oh, yeah, As yeah, he yeah, races yeah, yeah. to stop Sully and her fellow never astronauts from returning. Felicity Jones. I always find it weird. So I have great respect for actors. I really love them. Uh, Even some of them have ruined my life personally. But um, but um, no, I I really love them. I I, I always find it weird when when actors direct just just to cast themselves. I think it's weird. It's like, could you not? So Clooney is in all of those except Mm -hmm. Suburbicon. And it's like, could you not? You're a huge star. Could you not just like hire the director that you like? Sure, but him being in the movie is sometimes like a way to get it financed or funded. Sure, he's but the like, biggest movie star. But he could just like pop in. He doesn't have to be like yeah. a main part. Yeah. He could cameo. I don't know. I just think it's sort of like you know. I just saw Robin Wright's directorial debut. It was one of the last things I saw before the the theater shut down again. And it's like. So it's a, it's a movie about her, and I love Robin Wright, but it's a movie about her being alone on a mountaintop. And it's like, okay, Castaway, so you just want to, like, shoot yourself doing all of these things that no one can yeah. stop you from doing. Tara, you just made a movie. You should know. I would never you know, be in it. <laughs> you'd never be in it, but, like, you're in charge if you want to be in it. It's your movie. I could have been. Yes, I could have been. There's That's probably true. some element of that where you're an actor and you're very used to being the sort of meat face that gets positioned <laughs> and suddenly you get to be in charge. So yeah, you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. I just feel like as someone who did just directed a movie, it's so all encompassing. I can't believe you would also have to put in a performance mm-hmm. and do them both at the same time. That's all. But you know, the clue has been in the business since the eighties and this was, you know, he knows what's up, but um, back to your question after going through that filmography, which was not, as stellar as I thought it was. No. I guess I would say this is probably his best thing that he did. Yeah. Best I would best agree. directing. I'm sure he's acted something better. But 
Yeah. yeah, Up in the Air was pretty good. Um, yeah, agreed. I think this is his best. And not just because it's important or whatever. I, I Again, I like the Ides of March, but he definitely, maybe minus Leatherheads, he's definitely interested in, like, big ideas and, and you know, men doing important shit. Kind of like Leatherheads. <laughs> <laughs> he's also very into retro... Yes, Old they're Hollywood all period pieces. Shit. Yeah, which even Leatherheads is, you know, he he's a all of his directorial stuff. I haven't seen the the most recent things, but they're all kind of throwbacks to a different era. Well, and that's very expensive to do. That's also yeah. something you can do as George Clooney. You can be like, eh, I want to make this wartime. I want to make this World War Two movie, and they're like, okay, like <laughs> I couldn't do that. Well, we should maybe get into Passion some trivia then. <laughs> about how this movie got made but first why don't we take a little break a little break let's do it okay for our sponsors who don't exist (laughs) have a cigarette we must not confuse dissent with disloyalty we must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law we will not walk in fear one of another we will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to associate, to speak, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the results. We proclaim ourselves, indeed, as we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world, But we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. The actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have caused alarm and dismay amongst our allies abroad and given considerable comfort to our enemies. And whose fault is that? Not really his. He didn't create this situation of fear. He merely exploited it, and rather successfully. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night, and good luck. And we're back. Box Office Bylines brought to you by Alumco and mm-hmm. Parliament Lights. Aluminum, keeping Americans safe from communists. <laughs> Cover your head with aluminum today. <laughs> Big thoughts? Keep them to yourself with <laughs> aluminum. So some trivia here on good night and good luck. Let's start off. Filmed in color on a grayscale set, and then decolorized in post. That is shocking to me. Why would they do it that way? I, I'm i not entirely sure. Um, I do wonder if that was cheaper in 2005. You know, Roman Holiday, we talked about last week, it was cheaper to shoot on black and white film. Right, that wouldn't be true. In the 50s. In, yeah. But in 2005, maybe it was just cheaper to shoot on color stock and digitally later, yeah. Wow. There you go. Or it might have just been grayscale set, though. So that means they des- they did – so they costumed and and painted the set as if it were being shot in black and white and mm-hmm. then shot it in color. It's so weird. Which okay. does make sense because you have to kind of – I mean, maybe it's going a little far, but you don't want to – if you don't know how things are going to look in black and white, mm-hmm. you're, you could potentially be in trouble because could, things could blend together in a gross way. Mm-hmm. So. 
Wow. George Clooney, speaking of financing the movie, as we did before this break, was paid $1 each for writing, directing, and acting. Made a total of $3 <laughs> That's working like on me. this film. <laughs> yeah. Which cost $7.5 million to make due to an injury he received on the set of Syriana a few months earlier, to his back, I believe. Clooney could not pass the test to be insured. So he had to mortgage his own house in Los Angeles in order to make the film. Wow. Commit it, Tara. Did you mortgage your house to make your movie? No. No. And I did pass the test, but I was worried. <laughs> uh, Shark Tank Mark Cuban. Shark Tank Shark? Shark Mark Tanks. Cuban. Shark Tanks Mark Cuban and former eBay president Jeffrey Skull also invested money in the project as executive producers. Yep. The it's film ultimately grossed more than $54 million worldwide. So everybody nice. got their they money broke back. Even. Yeah. Clooney got his house back. He's not homeless. He's okay. He met cool. what Melania. Wait, what's her name? Iman. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> this is uh, what people criticize the media for all the time, where they're like, George Clooney's George wife. George Clooney's oh, wife no. is oh, named no. Amal. Amal Clooney, yes. Yeah. That's her name. Alleged She's... wife is named Amal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyways, it's good. They have a house. They're not They're living fine. in a tent on She's the shores of Lake Cuomo. <laughs> Lake Cuomo. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, because of Clooney's back injury, he decided to have two cameras rolling at the same time. Not only did this have the working day to nine hours, but also added a fly on the wall effect. It's a fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoy yeah. the way that bit of trivia is written. I am <laughs> I, It was really interesting, actually, to watch this movie. A lot of things happened, um, like they had clearly shot it, but it there was music over it. Yeah, and there's a lot of so, jazz I'll, interludes. I'll, yeah, like over the talking. So I, it was sort of like added a uh, more um, harried element, where it's like we don't even have time to show you what this is. Just know it's important. There's also a lot of, like, in the production meetings, too, that, like, things are happening in the background. Sometimes, like, Clooney's speaking, like, out of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed that aspect. It was something I noticed here the second time watching it, I guess, was kind of how modern the camera work felt. And it did feel kind of more documentary than, you know, a movie at the time of the 1950s would have been very locked down, one camera, everyone yes. perfectly composed frames around like a tableau so yeah yeah and it moved a lot there were some really good tracking shots like the yeah. hopped hopped rooms and things like that yeah it was it looked great each morning george clooney would gather his cast members together and give them copies of the newspaper from that day in 1953 he'd then give them an hour and a half working on old manual typewriters to copy out the stories from the paper he would then hold an improvised news conference with hidden cameras in which the cast members would pitch their stories to the editor just like a real newsroom. How that fun like is that? That's like a waste of time. Yeah. And we can, now maybe is the time to address Clooney's legendary pranksterism. <laughs> How you annoying. Think that was a prank? So what, he had the work day to nine hours spent every morning on homework. I mean, look, if I'm on set, I actually, that would be the most enjoyable part. Yeah, you would have nailed that. Was when day. we all got to You would have, like, killed reporters. Jeff Daniels. Yeah. That would have been great. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I can see that being annoying, especially for anyone below the line who just has to stand around. Yeah. Get an extra God. breakfast sandwich and wait. <laughs> Legendary prankster, do you want to talk about his pranks? 
No, it's just like a thing that I've read over the years. Like they're yeah. not. It's not like um, Chris Pratt showing his dick on the set of Parks and Recreation or anything. It was just like George would leave rotten eggs around set, ha ha, yeah. or like whatever, or he like pooped in Richard Kind's cat box, litter box, <laughs> or like sort of punked style rich guy shit. I don't know. That's real. Did you know that? No, that one's a famous because they were roommates. And he would, um, Richard Kind had a cat, and so George would, like, for a week, cleaned out the litter box before Richard got to it. So Richard was very worried that his cat hadn't taken shit in a week. And then at the end of the week, George shit in the, left, like, a human-sized shit in the litter box as a cool prank on his roommate. George, okay, I'm sorry. There's a uh-huh. list called Clooney's 15 Best Pranks. This is a grown-ass man. Well, he didn't come up with that list title. <laughs> he has enough pranks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, for there to be a list. What are they? Oh, hold on. It's a f- slideshow. One second. Ah, uh, you get more page views that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, he put a bumper sticker uh, in the shape of a marijuana leaf on the back of Brad Pitt's car that said, Fuck Cops. Is that number 15? Yeah. Okay. Something about Angelina Jolie. I don't want to talk about it. Um, George Clooney stole producer Jerry Weintraub's gold silk shirt and then mailed it to him later, but he drew a dick on it and then 30 famous people signed it. Thanks for making my shirt more valuable, George. <laughs> Take that down to Pawn Stars. Get like 100000 for it. Oh, and let's end on this one because this is what I'm saying. Okay. He once put gravel in Bill Murray's suitcase, so it was overweight at the airport, and then when they opened it, it was a bunch of rocks. Oh, like, <laughs> is that was that so that when they were like, "Why do you have all these rocks?" Yeah, he be, be like, like, "We're I filming don't, Monuments I don't know. Men." <laughs> it's like a tie-in. That prankster, George. Ugh. You know who else was a bit of a prankster? Who's Joe that? McCarthy. Oh, yeah. And one complaint <laughs> about this film from test audiences was their belief that the actor playing McCarthy was too over the top, not realizing the film used actual archive footage of McCarthy himself. That little bit of hair of his? <clears throat> yeah. That was way in the front, like he was bald, but like <clears throat> it was way in the front and then it hung down when he was like super sweaty and angry. Ugh. My hairline isn't receding all that much, um, but I do wonder for gentlemen who have that sort of like horseshoe pattern where it's like pushing back. Like, what do you do? Yeah, when you have like a little bit of hair left, you just like you should get rid of it every day. It's like, what do you think you're doing? Man, it looks you bad. Gotta, you people, gotta go like people the rock know what's happening. And Vin yeah. Diesel, just like shave it. Yeah, shave it all off <laughs> everyone every day. pull a Vin. Baby oil. Uh, In 1966, Friendly resigned from CBS when the television network ran a scheduled episode of I Love Lucy instead of broadcasting live coverage of the first United States Senate hearings questioning American involvement in Vietnam. Wow. Journalism. That reminds me of a Murphy Brown episode. (laughs) As everything should. (laughs) Um, Friendly also became an integral figure in negotiations and interconnection that would lead to the creation of the public broadcasting service PBS in 1969. That's cool. Uh, he went on to um, teach journalism, too. But I think that was one of his biggest legacies was banding together some public stations and getting the money to create a national public broadcaster, which is pretty cool legacy to leave behind for Definitely. the education and culture of a society. 
cooler than McCarthy's legacy, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the catchphrase from Murrow, good night and good luck, came from his work reporting during the Blitz in London. It was a phrase Londoners would uh, say to each other when they were saying goodbye because they didn't know if they might see each other the next day. Wow. And I think was used by the Queen, too, in one address during the time. What I loved about that delivery is when he said he said good night to the camera and he always said good luck to the ground. It's not mm-hmm. like so it was There's a weird no- sort of like, well, ah, <laughs> I can't look at you when I say this. It's like uh, sarcastic. Straythern. Straythern. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't too familiar with his work before this, but I remember being blown away by this performance. He like mm-hmm. yeah, he's a evokes great character competent, um, trustworthy, everything you kind of want. At least from the image of Edward R. Murrow. Yeah, and he um, most recently seen in Nomadland. There you go. Yeah. Oscar winning. Many, Nomadland. many Oscars. Not him. Yeah. <laughs> Not um, him. After the war, Murrow maintained close friendships with previous hires from Europe, including members of the, uh, what was dubbed the Murrow Boys, famously. So they were like his cadre. They were like his um, Oceans His 11 Oceans team or his Pussy uh, Pussy, yeah. perhaps. Um, younger <laughs> colleagues at CBS became resentful toward this, viewing the Murrow boys as having preferential treatment, so they formed their own Murrow is in God club. <laughs> that sounds club like dis- something we would do. <laughs> the, the club disbanded when Murrow asked if he could join. <laughs> I would love to know who was in the Murrow is in God club. Is it like Dan Rather? Like, he's not! <laughs> <laughs> um... See It Now ended entirely in the summer of 1958. After a clash in William Paley's office, Murrow had complained to Paley he could not continue doing the show if the network repeatedly provided, without consulting Murrow, equal time to subjects who felt wronged by the program. Yeah. Um, and there's a, li- there, there's a line in this movie where Paley says that he doesn't want a constant stomach ache every time Murrow covers a controversial subject, which was something that Paley did say to him. Wow. So. And he sort of says, like, he dismisses it fairly. I think the speech he frames it with, the famous, um, I forget what it's called, wires and lights speech that he gives, it does make a wonderful case for how, you know, the, the medium of television, but really the medium of any sort of news broadcasting, can, will and can easily just be something to insulate and console the masses and actually doing something of value will always be difficult and will cause headaches and will cause stomach aches and will anger people and that but like so it's always going to be the hard choice mm-hmm. um yeah which people who own media sometimes forget but they certainly do okay so the secret marriage in the movie which was real joe and shirley Worshba. um joe voluntarily quits to avoid being fired in real life he spent the next six years writing for the New York Post before returning to CBS when the policies regarding married co-workers changed. Um, he was then one of the original producers for another hit news show, 60 Minutes, which they ah. in 1968. And it's weird. Yes. In a nice note, the two, Joe and Shirley, remained married for 62 years until his death Oh, in so it was worth it. That's good. Yeah. It's weird that it's like that was a policy. Like not having, like fraternizing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, the marriage thing is weird. Like, does that not legitimize it? I'm not sure. I think it was like you can't date any colleagues. 
you can't be involved in any way romantically with your colleagues. I don't know. Right. I mean, he like, did Like, I don't think married. it was just that, like, you. it was like you can date but not get married. But I don't know why or where that came from. Mm-hmm. It does feel weirdly out of, like, I think of, I guess this was the, the 50s, so maybe things were a little more buttoned down post, mm-hmm. immediately post-war. But, like, in Mad Men, nobody was getting fired for the many, many office affairs that were happening. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe that was it. Maybe you had to like it had you can't be married to your coworkers, you can just have affairs with them. <laughs> that sounds right actually. <laughs> yeah. Smoking the whole time. <laughs> uh and then one last bit of trivia. It was originally thought by many viewers that the CBS sign on the wall in the main CBS headquarters is set in Helvetica. A typeface that was first created in 1957, 3 years after the Joseph McCarthy broadcast. But a subsequent investigation by typographers established that the typeface actually is correct and is Accidans Grotesque. Sure. So there Nerds. you go. <laughs> Love a little bit of nerd trivia. Well, Jacob, this was, it's nice to, we haven't seen a bad one yet in this run, which is good. <laughs> Let's see what happens next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us at, at Box Bylines. On Twitter. I just remembered that box office bylines was too long. Yeah. <laughs> One year ago when we were trying to put this shit on, up on its feet. Box office bylines, the only title we could really think of that, that worked for this. Because everything <laughs> else was too was vague. Like, no. <laughs> and then Twitter ruined it. So. Is it too late to do broadcast We are not great views? at branding. <laughs> or monetizing. But we're good at telling the truth in journalism. And, and talking a lot. Well, we're definitely good at that. <laughs> Thanks again for doing this, Tara. Anytime, buddy. You, as always. And you too. And uh, until next time, may your devils wear Prada, your views be Parallax, and your jewels always be Richard. <laughs> <laughs>